a lot of the strategies and growth marketing that we develop for our client is based on how consumers buy today. So there have been some pretty tectonic shifts as we move away from the pure play D2C era to what we're working with now. Differences today is that all of these brands are pretty much digital first. Uh, COVID accelerated that process. So you have a lot of consumers online, they're on digital platforms, and the innovation cycles are accelerating. So it's harder for just purely direct-to-consumer brands to stand out because everyone's advertising on, the, on these platforms. Advertisers and agencies are, are much more equipped now to impact results and to deliver insights to their clients about how customers behave, what product insights we have that we can relate to the brand, how they should be strategically growing their business based on signal insights from, from the customer, because they're really just a click away from us. On today's episode, our guest shares his expert tips for optimizing e-commerce growth through enhancing customer retention and customer experience. Great episode. You don't want to miss it. Do stay tuned. This is the 2X e-commerce podcast hosted by Kunle Campbell. So welcome, welcome to today's episode of the 2X e-commerce podcast show. Today, we have a special guest joining us. His name is Lucas de Petrantonio, who is the CEO and co-founder of Darkroom Agency. Darkroom is a New York-based full-service digital marketing agency focused on helping e-commerce businesses grow through data-driven marketing strategies. On today's episode, it's a deep dive into the importance of leveraging customer data to create a strong community around your brand, particularly through tough economic times. Lucas shares his insights on the value of understanding customer churn and using that information to iterate on your products and improve the overall customer experience. He emphasizes the importance of connecting marketing with product improvements based on customer feedback. He also discusses the role of influencers and celebrity-led brands in D2C space because they work with some celebrity-led brands, highlighting the potential for accelerated growth rates, but also the challenges that may face in terms of sustainability. Lucas shares his thoughts on the power of community building and the need for brands to be diligent in developing a strong community across all touch points, both online and offline. Lucas gives us a glimpse into Darkroom's agency's approach to working with their clients, emphasizing growth, creative experience, and strong attribution frameworks. He also shares his thoughts on TikTok as an advertising platform and its potential scalability. So stay tuned also for our lightning round where Lucas answers rapid fire questions on his personal life, professional journey, and the books he's currently reading. You want to miss this insightful conversation with Lucas as we explore the world of e-commerce marketing and the strategies that can help your business thrive. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. Today, I'd like to introduce you to the highest rated live chat app on Shopify called Tidio. Tidio is a robust and highly versatile live chat and customer success platform that enables you to provide personalized shopping experiences, increase customer satisfaction and sales, and manage all your communication channels on a single dashboard. It also lets you automate up to 47% of recurring questions enabled by its deep Shopify integration. Not only is Tidio great for increasing customer satisfaction and sales, but it is also budget-friendly. With the Tidio Plus plan, you get a dedicated customer success manager, personalized training sessions, and more. 
as an e-commerce coach and operator, I consistently recommend Tedio to other e-commerce operators and have it installed on our brand websites. I've seen the benefits firsthand, so I definitely recommend that you check it out. Tedio powers over 300,000 brand websites, including companies like Shell, Wellbot, and Value Furniture. To take control of your customer relationships today, that would in turn supercharge your growth and set the stage for success, head to tidio.com forward slash 2x. That is T-I-D-I-O dot com forward slash 2x. A special discount on Tidio Plus for 2x e-commerce podcast listeners awaits you. Hey, Lucas, welcome to the 2x e-commerce podcast. Hey, Kunle, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it, man. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. Where, where are you calling in from? It's very nice, nice, cozy background there. This is the the podcast setup, um, All right. but I'm calling in from New York, downtown New York, so uh, in Tribeca right now. Okay, all right. Cool, laid back voice here. Okay, so you guys host a podcast, right? We do. We actually, we haven't published it yet, but we, we've been planning out the season. We've had a couple of interesting guests, so we've had a couple of conversations. That's why I have this this setup i've been i've been investing in in the production so um yeah we're, we're just getting started on it i mean i was on your tiktok um earlier on and i saw like some 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 cutouts from from something from a show perhaps it shows you've been on but it's a pleasure to have you dark room dark room um when i was presented the opportunity to to speak with you guys i it was one of those fast yeses you know it's like bang on um i like what you do you come across like a very high touch agency, um, and you, you you actually look like a DTC company when, when you look at the visuals of UX and on, on your site. Do you want to speak and introduce um, you know dark um, dark darkroom agency um, to, to to listeners, please? Yeah, for sure, I'd I'd love to. So we are a progressive growth strategy and digital marketing firm. We predominantly operate in the B2C space and a lot of the strategies and growth marketing that we develop for our client is based on how consumers buy today. So there have been some pretty tectonic shifts um, as we move away from the pure play D2C era to um, what we're working with now. Um, And we've really positioned ourselves to excel in that environment. We've been around for six years uh, or just approaching six years. We have about 75 employees worldwide. Um, And like I said, most of our clients are challenger, consumer brands, um, high growth, uh, either venture-backed startups or or bootstrapped or legacy brands. And we've had an opportunity to work with um, an excellent portfolio of businesses. It's incredible. Um, great to, 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 to have you on again. And um, I, uh, I just picked up on your tectonic shifts in, in the space, which we're, we're going to touch on. But, but what, what, so prior to, to, to your six years in, in existence, what, what, what is the backstory? Who's your co-founder? And um, what's your, what your background you know, prior to, to, um, to, 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 to founding the agency or starting the agency? Yeah, so I, I co-founded the company with one of my, you know, best friends. His name is Jackson Corey. He's really he's our chief creative officer. He's a graphic designer by trade. He really is um, the reason behind our our rise as a creative force within you know the e-commerce space and and just being able to compete with some of these larger agencies um, that have more creative firepower than us. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, Jackson and I started the company about six years ago. Before that. 
we had collaborated on a number of different startups. Um, we had a keen interest in commerce, knowledge of you know the digital space, uh, software development, e-com. It just naturally lended lended itself to a consulting business. Mm-hmm. Um, we started the company. Um, you know, I think some the majority of our early portfolio was wasn't all that mm-hmm. impressive, but. We did have a couple of our our first clients. One was a really big institution, and then the other was um, a, a you know a top five worldwide entertainer hmm. who was building a portfolio of consumer businesses. We had the opportunity to work with him on the early stages of that, and um, the ventures that he ended up launching were some of the fastest growing consumer ventures in history, um, and that kind of. Uh, really solidified our space, uh, our our place in in the consumer space, and allowed mm. us to to scale the agency relatively quickly through COVID. Mm. Was he a New Yorker by any chance? Not. He's not a New Yorker. He's actually Floridian. Um, okay. But uh, yeah, he's you know okay. would love to talk I'll, more I'll, on it. I'll do my research. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're here to talk about growth strategy in 2023. A lot has changed in over the years. Um, the, from let, let, if, even if we go back to to COVID, a lot has changed between COVID and now. Over over the COVID period, the the iOS update was launched, and you know um, people were just getting battered. In fact, there's still companies, you know, still nursing the wounds from 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 the iOS 14 um, ATT update. You guys do strategy. Our conversation prior to this was was like you guys focus a lot of strategy, and that is what differentiates you from from other agencies. You just don't do. You don't you know take take actions and um, take instructions essentially. So, what is your at this point in time e commerce growth philosophy? And I wouldn't even say e commerce, just growth for a consumer brand. What what is the perspective? on growing because it's now beyond e-commerce from my perspective, but I'd really like to, to hear yours. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think what we've learned is that e-commerce is, is it's a great channel. Um, it's just another way of distribution, um, just like wholesale or retail um, or other avenues. And I think the unit economics during the direct consumer era, which you can categorize that by, you know, roughly 2008 advent of Facebook ads to, you know, 2020, which is iOS 14 and ATT updates. Um, you know, th- that was a period of uh, great unit economics on ad platforms. Um, and really what Facebook revolutionized is the ability to deterministically allocate ad spend and understand what your return is going to be. That was pretty novel for marketers. Prior to that period, you know, you have what's called an analog era of advertising or, you know, really what I like to call the Madison Avenue era of advertising, which was, you know, there was less channel innovation. So you have pretty much everyone on the same distribution channels for the most part, TV, print, um, you know, potentially there was display, you know, there were other couple of novel forms in the, in the early 2000s post internet. Um, but for the most part, when you look at the advertising agency's responsibility, the way that they grew um, a client account was through the creative campaign. That was the central mode of, of advertising strategy. And the creative campaign was 
really like a brand awareness play. And it was meant to grow market share, increase brand awareness and grow market share from your competitive set of like-minded businesses. Um, So you're growing mind share within the customer and ultimately that leads to sales. And, you know, there wasn't really any deterministic attribution that was happening during that period. And then you have Facebook and, you know, for the last 15 years, really, um, you had what's called like an attribution mirage and Sam Blumenthal, who actually we just had on our pod, he he has some great pieces about this. Um, But basically Facebook got really good at taking credit for purchases online um, through the pixel um, because they could prove that, you know, someone who purchased a product actually saw an impression, whether or not that person, you know, 100% 100% of the reason they per- they purchased that item was because of Facebook, you know, it didn't necessarily matter because Facebook could prove it through the ad platform. Um, so, you know, after the ATT changes, you see that pretty much degrade overnight and a brand that may have been making, you know, a 4X return on ad spend all of a sudden was making a 1.5X return on ad spend. And all of a sudden that created a little bit of chaos um, in terms of, how they were going to allocate media spend. Um, and now what you have is um, a lot of conflicting information and really a lot of confusion on the advertiser's part in terms of how they should be allocating spend because things aren't as clear as they once were. And I just want to put this into perspective. The challenges that brands are having today in terms of allocating spend are the exact same challenges that brands had in the analog era when you know, you were deciding your media mix and you just looked at overall, you know, lift on revenue. You didn't look at your single channel ROAS. So um, there are a lot of similarities. The differences today is that um, all of these brands are pretty much digital first. Uh, COVID accelerated that process. So you have a lot of consumers online. They're on digital platforms and the innovation cycles are accelerating. So it's harder for uh, just purely direct consumer brands to stand out stand out because everyone's advertising on the, on these platforms. And then because of this direct to consumer era where aesthetics were everything and brands got pretty sophisticated with their photography and positioning and the barriers to entry really lowered. Um, it's really hard to stand out now. You have to have a unique, unique take. It's not enough just to look good. Um, so it's actually a pretty interesting dynamic and, I think what you're seeing is like a battle of the brands on the digital platforms. You know, it's not just in the retail storefront anymore. It's actually online. Um, So these are the types of challenges that we work with our clients on. Um, Trying to help them navigate the waters. But I think the whole D2C echo chamber that, you know, they're, they need to recognize that, you know, direct consumer as a business model, as an investment thesis, it's, it's not, it's not attractive anymore. Interesting. Thank you for, for, for laying it all out. Um, like the connection between, you know, old school Madison Avenue and, you know, and, and where we are now. Let's take a short pause to hear from our sponsors and we'll be right back. If you're looking to take your e-commerce growth to the next level, I highly recommend checking out Recharge for your recurring payments and subscription management needs. With Recharge, you'll be able to streamline your recurring payments, create predictability, and even further automate your business. So don't wait. 
get started with the subscription platform trusted by over 50 million subscribers across the world. Try Recharge today and see how it can help you retain your customers and grow your business. So head over to rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. That is rechargepayments.com forward slash 2x. Things have improved from, 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 from my, from, from what, from what I could see, you know, I'm, I'm not, you know, buying media at scale at the scale you guys are, but, um, with the, with the ad accounts I have, you know, access to, um, 20, 20 and 2021, particularly what 2020 was, was tough from an attribution standpoint. Um, however, just due to the fact that there was excess money in the economy, it wasn't really that bad if you still had strong creatives and a good product that is, or good brand uh, experience essentially. And with last year, with tools like Triple Whale, they're giving kind of like a, a better holistic overview of how your, your, you know, what channels are put, you should put your monies in. And when I look at Facebook ads manager today, the numbers aren't that bad. It's, it seems like the, the AI has found its feet Maybe in it's this applies to historic accounts, you know, accounts that have, that have had history and lots of data in in them. But it's not that bad. I'm not saying it's it's a north star for decision making, but the reports are pretty pretty good and tally with what you see on um, with some of what you see on Triple Well and um, what you see see on on your e-commerce platform. But unless if you know i'm i'm an outlier but um please um I, i'd really love to to hear your insights there yeah for sure um i think you make some great points and i, I don't think things are are all that bad i think um we're certainly better off as like the advertisers and agencies are are much more equipped now to impact results and to deliver insights to their clients about how customers behave um, uh, what product insights we have that we can relay to the brand, how they should be strategically growing their business based on signal insights from, from the customer because they're really just a click away from us. So I think we're certainly better off and more equipped to steward um, these businesses and brands today than you know any brand strategist was back in you know, 1980 or 1960. Um, and these platforms are getting a lot more sophisticated. I'm I'm an investor in Triple Well. I love that that platform. Um, I think what they've done uh, in terms of solving for attribution and providing just SMBs and e-commerce businesses and retail businesses in general with um, a robust tool set to better understand their customers and their advertising challenges is is incredible. Um, so I think that's an, a valuable resource. Um, and, you know, Facebook is a, it's the most powerful advertising platform in history. So I'm not knocking Facebook. I'm just saying the game has, has changed. Um, that, that's, that's, that's really it. And I think brands need to understand that, um, you know, it's, it's a part of the equation. The customer journey is, it's always been complicated. It just ne hasn't necessarily been that clear. Um, 
commerce has always been a multi-touch attribution game. You might discover a product on a Facebook ad, but then you need to talk to friends, you need to go in store to see the product. So it's always been multi-touch. And as a brand owner um, or an agency uh, owner or a marketer, you just need to understand that to provide the best po possible customer experience. And I think marketers, especially agencies, became way too over-reliant on, on single-channel performance. Um, That's not true. That's true. Because prior to Facebook, there was the demand capture era with Google, with Google search. And not, not to say, you know, brands don't exist with Google search, but it was just, you know, what people searching for and um, let's just be there. And everybody and their dogs was, was, was on it. And then, you know, Facebook came with the opportunity for the first time to to actually generate, de you know, demand, demand generation. And it was like, it was magic, really. It was, it was magic. You made a point which I really resonated too, which was um, you have to have a unique take. You can't just be good anymore. What, how, how do you get that unique take? Is it, is it, is this a product play, a, a CX play? How, how are um, the the best in class brands like like a brand like Athletic Greens? How are they cutting through the noise in in their strategy? Yeah, I think Athletic Greens does a great job of just you know when they're doing demand generation or demand capture, they're demonstrating why they're the best solution for a problem relatively quickly and in such a way where they're actually building brand equity and showing. Uh, value for the product. So, um, I mean, they, they've, they've dialed in their messaging and, uh, you know, it, it's showing through the creative. Certainly I've never worked on, on athletic Greens, so I don't know how performance is, but I know, you know, that company has been scaling like crazy. Um, so, you know, I think th that's probably a good example of them having great channel market fit on, on Facebook, um, too. Um, but I think, you know, for the other, like, I think for certain categories and certain verticals, it varies vertical to vertical, but one of the challenges that you need to use creative storytelling to kind of overcome is, are we the best, can we convey that we're the best solution for a given problem that a certain subset of people have? Uh, that are on that channel. And, you know, that's part of the the challenge of the brand and the advertiser. Um, but then there are other markets where it's just going to be uh, the, the saturation and competition on these digital channels is it's just become much more of an uphill battle than it used to be. Take mattresses. It's a good example. When Casper launched, I think in like 2014, they were one of one you know, now how many mattress brands are there? There's Lisa, there's, uh, uh, <laughs> there's just, purple. there's so many of them. There's yeah. purple, there's, there's even the UK, other one, nectar. Yeah. yeah. There's a bunch nectar, of them. Yeah. So, um, that's what I mean by this battle of the brand brands playing out, uh, in the, the digital sphere in the ether. Um, and that that problem compounds, and it, it that problem is different industry to industry. I think if you look like if you look at rugs, like not a lot of direct to consumer rugs, rug brands. There's Ruggable, um, but the other partners predominantly are on 
you know, they're, they're selling on third-party e-commerce or marketplaces and they're demonstrating big business there. And those brands have gotten really used to demand capture. Um, mm. And so the ROI isn't necessarily clear on Facebook where they could be generating a tremendous amount of brand awareness and demand generation for their business, which would filter down into their retail locations and into the third-party e-commerce sites. But the ROI there isn't so visible um, mm -hmm. for those brand owners. So um, it's hard to really take that step in, in that right direction. So, so one thing I'm, I'm, I'm noticing and, you know, please, if, if you, you know, have any sort of client case studies, please share, share, but, but one more about to say is one thing I'm, I'm noticing is, is the fact that brands cutting through the noise are using unique platforms to really make noise and there some um if they can afford it are channeling their 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 their, their value proposition through people with very loud voices and you know very trustworthy voices very influential voices and what i'm seeing after that is it it's sort of think about it like performance marketing being like a chain on a bike that's not oiled and the moment that happens it's kind of like pouring oil in you know on on that chain and it just starts to to move like a cog um because they have differentiated and and again it it it, it stands the it risks it's you know um it just risks the fact that people, you know, other other competitors can still use those voices or similar voices, and then it, it gets saturated again. But but I'm seeing that if you look at like Athletic Greens, just sorry, I, I just have to use the example again uh, with really big podcasters and you know um, nutrition and fitness influencers, top of the funnel. And then when you see the ads, you just trust it and you want to you know sort of convert the ads to match the narrative. Just wondering if using that is, is that part of the strategy of some of the brands you're working with particularly for brand launch campaigns or even scaling campaigns if there's like a change in initial strategy yeah i mean that's the approach we take with with every business it's you know we have a framework at the agency that we deploy for each of our clients they're kind of like the guardrails that we use to make sure we're at least leveraging some sort of scientific process to properly clarify a client's goals, develop hypotheses, and then eventually go out and test them. And the main goal of the framework is to drive the brand a quantum leap forward. People go out to agencies because they're looking for growth. Um, and they're not looking for just incremental growth. They, you know, I understand this as an entrepreneur, they wanna, they wanna take the business forward. Uh, so if I'm a seven-figure business, I want to figure out how to get to eight figures. If I'm an eight-figure business, it's nine figures. You know, some of the nine-figure brands in our portfolio, it's how do we double the business over this amount of time? How do we get to an acquisition? Um, all I think executive teams, brand owners are thinking about those things. So in order to do that, you need a framework that dictates um, like how we're properly going to run experiments and tests at scale. 
um, to properly filter through the noise. And all of these downstream channel um, distribution strategies are part of that. But what I oftentimes find brands doing is saying, we need to get on podcast. We need to get on TikTok. Mm -hmm. That's the new thing. And it's like, it demonstrates actually a reactiveness um, and a lack of a cohesive strategy. Ultimately, if you're a brand owner and you have a dialed in marketing strategy, you want to be in, you know, everywhere if possible, but in the most critical touch points that your target consumers are, you know, where they're consuming, where they're living, where they're spending time. Um, you know, for the most time, it was just easy to go to, you know, Facebook and demand capture through Google because they had such large supply and inventory and reach with, with prospective audiences. But now because distribution channels are relatively available to everyone, you know, brand sophistication is, is up there in terms of digital acquisition strategy. Um, we need to be going to the, to the most critical touch points. Now for athletic greens, that sounds like, you know, podcast has lift for them, but they also are on Facebook. So they're hitting you there too. Um, and they're also on TikTok. And so when you're a consumer who like is in the market for athletic greens and you want something that's relatively, uh, good for you, nutritious, quick, like, we have all brand awareness. You can bring it up in a podcast and, you know, they're now getting free advertising for Athletic Greens. We've been talking about it for like 15 that's minutes. Right. So mm -hmm. that's smart strategy. That's, 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 you know, cohesion. That's understanding the customer journey. Um, and, you know, that's probably why they're winning. Interesting. I'll be curious to, 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 to know your take on just the power of influence. You know, what, we we're hearing a lot of people talk about micro, you know, you know, micro influencers. Um, that that the, there's always been, you know, celebrity macro influencers have been there, you know, running sales with with known D 2 C brands and, and offline brands. What what is your agency's take on on the best way to to utilize influencers and um, use them to to leverage? performance output or just throughput from from performance marketing yeah so um at our agency you know we've had influencer programs we made a really early decision um a few years ago as we recognized some of the shifts uh, with the creator economy to really merge our acquisition and our our creator management service which is you know what we call like UGC content creation and working with creators we really leverage the creative value that um, micro creators have within the performance program said differently the value for us as an agency is in the fact that you can have low cost distributed content creation efforts from creators that are mostly in market and they are developing creatives that perform best on these ad platforms, which is to say that they are native to the platform, UGC, you know. Um, that's what's been performing best for a long time, but there still is a place and time for high-fidelity creatives. Uh, I'm get very much a proponent of that, even though um, it's not always necessary. Um, we talked about Ruggable. They do a great example of this. Some of their high-fidelity mm -hmm. ads are... You know, they just, they, they have a place and time. Um, but for our agency, you know, we work with a lot of creators. We have a very robust function. We're, we're very creatively driven growth agency. That's probably one of our 
biggest value propositions uh, when we work with mm -hmm. a brand and they come from another growth or e-commerce agency. Um, we can really take them a, a, a quantum leap forward there. Um, and we leverage a, uh, you know, a bunch of different creators to make that happen. As far as like large scale influencer campaigns, that's not something that we do. I also think there's a place and time for that. Um, mm -hmm. I just think uh, the market's sort of correcting uh, the, the ROI on, on, on some of those campaigns. So, so what, what do you think is, is the right balance from a creative standpoint, uh, so you you open up a really good performing um, meta advertising campaign. When you look at the creatives, just the creative library, what percentage of creatives are now UGC versus um, you know branded or in in your words high fidelity, um, you know um, creatives. I, I think it really it it really depends on the vertical and it depends on the product and the business goals. Um, You'll you'll see much different goals for um, uh, a retail and um, third party e commerce business as you would see for direct to consumer business. The direct to consumer business is uh, over reliant on conversion focused campaigns, and they're going to skew uh, larger towards uh, lower fidelity, high performing creative. Um, mm -hmm. I've seen that time and time again with with direct consumer brands and them having a reluctance to invest in high fidelity or or high production value creative. Um, mm -hmm. And I understand that, and that's part and parcel what we described before regarding you know how we've been trained as marketers, especially in the D 2 C era, to just look at um, objective attribution ROI. Um, and so. I think it really depends business to business and on the goals of the organization. Um, but, uh, you know, I think, I think there's definitely, I mean, athletic greens is another good example. They have a lot of high production value creative, um, and it does a really good job of demonstrating the, the value propositions of the product relatively quickly. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, I also think with athletic greens, they, they use, for the influencer campaigns, they they use native, you know, obviously native UGC content, you know, from trusted you know, voices, and then the the high fidelity branded, you know, um, creatives are what they typically run. That's that's why I'm being served um, in on on my feeds, which which is which is interesting. Okay. Are you an athletic um, Koreans customer? I'm, I'm curious. I I'm about to to convert. Um, I'm I'm just about <laughs> to convert. Um, so so yeah, that that that's why they're they're so top 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 of mind. I just love their execution, and I, I've been having conversations with um, some CPG brand founders who are trying to just figure out their um, their setup and. I just say, look, look at these guys, look at what they're doing. Um, they're, they're really, ampli they've solved that um, average order value issue up front um, just because of the welcome pack they give you, which is worth the the value, the over $50. I think it's about 70 something dollars or 60 something, $69 or thereabouts. Um, just ensuring that their CAC to LTV ratio is, is healthy. Okay. So, with performance with retention let's we, we've spoken to, to to acquisition to acquisition channels um 
particularly, you know, um, you know, performance marketing and, and all the um, above the line um, routes to, to, to improving performance marketing. What, what should brand owners listening to, to, to this conversation be aware of when it comes to retention marketing? Have the rules changed as they have in um, in, in, in media buying, particularly on, on the meta platform? Yeah. Um, I think, I think it's just a question of progression and sophistication. These platforms are constantly changing retention. The name of the game has just always been providing the best customer experience. Um, and brands are doing that in really innovative ways now. Um, and it's not just about email or SMS. It's, you know, really thinking through how can we use that channel to build community? Um, I, I think for, for brand owners, like my counsel would be, you know, having an owned, uh, email database and like a channel where you can consistently communicate with your customers and test new ideas and go deeper on the segments and really leverage that to create community is, is one of the biggest moats that you can build as a brand, especially going through some of these uh, more difficult uh, economic times where you're seeing some pinch on the consumer side, like mm-hmm. go deep on your existing customers, retain them. Don't, um, I think a lot of brands just, they, they, they kind of neglect the channel. They just view it as a strict revenue source, which it is. And it's, you know, one of the, one of the best for, for e-commerce businesses, but like, it's just, it's so valuable. One of the toughest things with e-commerce, unless you have a subscription program is you can never really understand when a customer churns, they just kind of go away. Um, and that's really unique to, to commerce businesses, uh, other MRR based businesses, like, you know, when a customer churns and you get the opportunity to understand and to discern why did that customer churn? Um, Mm -hmm. you know, what was it something about the service? What did we do wrong? And on the consumer side, I see so many brands who they're not really diving into that data set, their customer file and understanding it as much as they can to better inform, um, how they should be refactoring and iterating on their products and making them better um, and how they can be better better providing a customer experience to their to their to their to their business and to their customers and what we've done at the agency is try to equip our clients with the ability to do that and you do that through a mix of data models that sift through your customer file and all of the different touch points and data points um, and Triple Whale is doing some of this out of the box in, in helpful ways. But I still think it's like a novelty for brand owners. They're like, oh, that's interesting. But they don't do anything with the data. And like you need to start doing things with the data and moving work forward. And it's time for you know marketing really to have connective tissue to, to product. And it needs to be like a feedback loop. Um, so that would be my take on the retention program. Yeah, and I like the fact that you you ended that question with product because it's it's often overlooked and as you know, um, it's just an afterthought, and it's it yeah looping looping what customers are saying with product improvements will will surely get them to to hang around a lot more. 
for sure, for sure. Speaking to community, I I often sort of question the thesis that you build community through email because if I have a database, I'm I'm running a brand and you're a, you're on my list, you're my email list, and I have three other people. You, you you never know each other, and community really is about social connections, you know, and having you know a singular view to to a particular you know um in a particular way beyond email and an sms which to me are just communication channels um either one to one or one to to many how how are best in class businesses truly building community that has you know social proof and all of the other elements of of um you know of community at, at a very social level a lot of people talk about events um for consumer brands it's it's it's, it's not possible but um but how how are d2c or cpg brands actually really truly building community yeah i think it's one of the one of those things that like every cpg brand wants they want community and they don't know exactly how to to go out and create it. Um, and there are certainly other experts out there who, you know, are more proficient and mm-hmm. first than I am at, at building, building community. It's not currently a, a function of the agency. It's something that we've talked about though, because it's becoming so vitally important to consumer brands. And there are also, <clears throat> with that in mind, some really great tools that are currently being built um, in the commerce space to help businesses locate their evangelists and better kind of galvanize them and, and aggregate them and in, into to creating a community. Um, but I think it's one of those things where like certain brands just, you know, if they do it really well, it accelerates their growth. Kind of like the analogy that you were giving regarding performance marketing, but it's like, if you have that community, it kind of just, you have these network effects that kind of just multiply um, and they become a, ma- a crazy asset for, for, for a lot of these brands. Um, uh, some of our most successful clients at the agency, they just had this organic growth that, you know, was something that the founder really did and, you know, it was part of their DNA. Um, yeah. And then they had word of mouth network effects that that helped in their the growth of the company. But I think it starts with a founding team. It's not one of those things where you like hire a community manager and it's like, great, let's get on socials, let's build community. It's like, you just need to be diligent about it. Um, there's an interesting brand here in uh, New York. I just did a, a, a panel with them a couple of months back um, called Bandit Running. And they just make, uh, it's a direct consumer running brand and they make apparel for people who are diehard runners and the amount of uh like that that is a community driven brand like it just is through and through and they do events they do pop-ups and they they have they're like customers are contributing to the growth of the brand they're so actively involved so i don't know i would challenge that like i think certain consumer brands like building community is it's it's in all touch points now it's in socials it's in real life it's mm-hmm. um you know in on the retention channels and i agree with you like retention isn't necessarily where it starts but like those customers that are your best customers they're judging you on every single communication that comes you know from from the inbox so that's where i think 
you need to be really careful as a brand owner, not just to please the uh, first customer that, that, sorry, the next customer that comes through the door. And depending mm -hmm. on your size, that customer, depending on how many, um, how old your business is and how many impressions and how much reach that you've had, that customer probably has the least propensity to buy and repurchase your product over time and have a higher CLV just because of like the law of, of, of shitty cohorts and you know how things degrade over time um, than mm -hmm. the first customer who purchased your product and was your you know your beachhead customer. So I think you need to be thinking about you know the first customer you acquired and the next customer that you're going to acquire with each of those communications. Yeah, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Because the the trends, the if you look at the macro trends in in D two C over the last three years, the the main winners, the the real critical winners have been, and these are outlier winners. They they have been the Kylie Cosmetics. Um, we we also have the the KSI Logan brand. Um, what's what's the what's the drink Prime. called again? Prime. 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 You know, so so they seem to be influencer led and and these guys already have community with them and they're just telling instructing <laughs> their um their, their their members their community members or, or their tribe members to to essentially support them and they're doing it in drones and growing these these super rocket fueled businesses. I don't know how sustainable they are. Does it wane as their fame wanes? I don't know. But should D2C businesses sort of really take influencers and and and, and build 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 that squad for I know it's not within the scope, but but it just seems like these guys are cutting through the noise and you're still seeing success stories despite all the, the headwinds. Yeah, I mean, they have unfair advantages for sure. And they mm -hmm. always have. Like, celebrities launching consumer brands is nothing novel. People have been doing that, you know, since they had influence and, you know, uh, had any sort of pull. So, um, I mean, if you're a brand founder and you have the opportunity to launch a brand with a celebrity, I think it accelerates your... Um, it accelerates your growth rate. There's just no two ways about it. So, if you can organize that deal and I mean it's a very small percentage of people that are able to do that and they're mm -hmm. probably not getting uh the lion's share of equity then you know there is that that's a great situation to be a part of we've been we've been a, as an agency we've been a part of some of the fastest growing celebrity brands that we, we've launched we're doing another one here in the next couple quarters with another top five uh entertainer in the world um I mean the growth rates on those businesses are insane. Zero to $75 million, $100 million in a year. Um, so yeah, those are great opportunities. By and large though, for the majority of entrepreneurs out there, they're going to need to cut their teeth and figure out how to grow you know, without being able to uh, pay an influencer $300,000, which is what these large entertainers expect for you know, not a lot of lift on, on their business. So they're going to need to figure out how to just kind of do it organically. And that sort of community building is very, very different than a celebrity just tapping into the 300 million fans that they already have on Instagram and, you know, saying, Hey, go buy this product. Cause I'm behind it. And just to put a pin in that, some of those celebrity ventures fail. Um, uh, I 
don't know if this is a fact yet, but uh, Josh Richards, Ani Energy, I'm pretty sure that's that that consumer brand is not a, not a thing anymore. When you mm-hmm. have someone like Logan Paul launching Prime and you have a good business team around behind it, I, I'm not sure what their infrastructure looks like. You got good unit economics, like the brand is is grown in, in the proper way, then those can be highly, highly successful uh, consumer enterprises. Um, so I think that sort of community is just is just different. But um, D2C and celebrity brands, like even these celebrity brands that we're launching now, they're not just D2C. They're talking about Amazon. Um, they're at Prime, I'm pretty sure is on Amazon. Zoa Energy, Amazon. You know, there are other ones. Uh that are on Amazon and then they move into retail relatively quickly. I think Prime is Prime is definitely in retail. You know, they are yes, where consumers yeah. are buying buying those products. Absolutely, absolutely. What, what is you mentioned Amazon? What is your take on on Amazon? Um, I think it's a tremendous revenue opportunity for uh, for businesses, and it has been for a while. Um, so people love buying on Amazon. They have a great customer experience and I, I've used Amazon a lot. So again, it's just like kind of meeting your customer where they're at and where they like to make purchases. So if your brand fits in that category, I think it makes sense. Okay. So speaking of control and experience, conversion rates, optimization and landing pages, where are you driving traffic particularly traffic you buy from, from, from social platforms or traffic that's directed, you know, um, by, by creators you, you, you work with, if, you know, um, that's part of, of your piece. Are you driving them to, to product pages, category or collection pages or uniquely crafted landing pages built out for conversions? Yeah, we, so all of our engagement structures, we build teams for our clients. So those teams usually include some element of creative and usually a design team. So those design team, they execute on uh, ad units, on landing pages, on email designs, other sort of downstream communications that make sense for the business and the type of work that we're doing for them. Um, By and large, I would say most brands that come to us are driving traffic to PDP homepage. Um, And... It, it varies category to category and the type of product and promotion that's happening. Some brands have dabbled with landing pages. I think there was a huge fad for like businesses to run to LPs and like brands were just kind of like throwing things out there and the LPs just did not make sense or didn't convert as good as the PDP. So, you know, we work through why that is with certain clients and Ideally, what we want to do is optimize the PDP for conversions, um, optimize the homepage for conversions and for a better customer experience, and then use landing pages for um, certain products that make a lot of sense. Maybe they're specialty products or bundles um, for certain promotional periods for other moments that make sense or have an offer related to it. So um, our design team is equipped to you know, work through that um, and make sure that those LPs are an integrated part of a larger customer journey. So we're not just throwing out an LP. It's like another one of those tactics. Like we need TikTok, we need podcasts, we need landing pages. Um, we need to think about it from from a cohesive perspective and take a bit of a a, a twenty thousand foot view approach. Yeah, and, and as you said, follow the data. Really, um, if PDPs are converting, then you know why why not? Why not? Okay, um, we're going to wrap this up with with metrics, kind of like um, your North Star metrics. Um, 
what what are your go-to metrics for measuring managing and reporting you know growth and scale what should 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 brands really be be focusing on I mean, I think every brand has different objectives, but the majority of them are looking at uh, EBITDA, um, revenue growth, um, and marketing efficiency ratio. Um, mm. And obviously, spend is a is a function of some of those. Um, we usually start with EBITDA and like, what are your what are your goals for the business? For most businesses, it's like they're run by a founder, they have an executive board, and like you know, there is a goal at the end of, uh, at the end of the road and it's either make more money or it's, you know, sell the business. And those are both functions of, of profitability. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And say brand approaches you guys, um, and you just realize that they, from a visual perspective, they're not quite there. What do you do? Do you still try and engage with them? Or do you tell them the hard truth or do you try and, you know, get them to, to, to essentially up their, their presentation and, um, and, you know, brand essentially, is it yeah, brand it first de- all the time of performance? It depends on the business. Like ultimately we always look at growth first. Like we're, we're looking at the business from a financial lens, but, um, brand is, and creative is always a part of that equation. We opt for growth, but if we can grow and elevate the creative experience, ideally that translates to revenue. And a large part of what we do at the agency is try and actually quantify that and measure it because it's been so art versus science forever, but like these things work together. There's a reason why, you know, you have great creative and people resonate with that. So we're trying to quantify that. So what we tell clients is like, you know, it's always from, from a growth perspective. Um, if, the business is a good business and it has growth potential and they're under indexing on brand or on creative. I mean, there's a, there's all, almost always a huge opportunity there to build brand as, as an asset on their balance sheet. Um, and that's where I think, you know, some really exciting things happen. Interesting. Interesting. What are your thoughts on, on TikTok as an advertising platform? Is it scalable in, in its current form? Yeah, I think we've had some good, we've had good scale with, with TikTok. Um, it's, it's, it's part of just like the normal marketing mix now for, for our clients. Um, it's important to have a really rigid attribution framework in order to quantify how successful the platform is. So that's, that's important at first. Um, because again, the, consumer journey now is pretty multi-touch and it always has been. Um, I mean, TikTok's going through some headwinds right now with this potential ban. Um, but I think it's, it's a great platform. The amount of people spending time on the, on the platform and discovering products, it's, you, you, you can't argue with it. Super, 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 super interesting, Lucas. Um, yeah, but interesting, very, very, very um, unique insights from 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 um, from 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 you. Thank you. Um, before I let you go, though, we we have a lightning round where I'm going to ask you about six or seven questions, and if you could use a single sentence to answer them, you'd be a okay. Okay, <laughs> go <All> ahead. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> What advice would you give to give to yourself five years ago? 
um, don't worry so much. <laughs> Just like go out and execute. I'm a I'm an overthinker. Right. Okay. Um, are you a morning person? No, I'm not. Just gonna ask what your morning routine looks like. Are you into sports? Um. Yes, I'm a big Knicks fan. I was actually at the Knicks game last night. We right. it was a heartbreaking loss. Okay, so that I, I I take it that the Knicks are your favorite team then. Yeah, and and the NBA for sure. All right. Okay. Cool. What two things can't you live without? Wow. Um, mm, I can't live without. Okay, I'll, I'll plug a product real quick. Um, this, I mean, I, I can't live without a water bottle. So it's either this Hydrate Spark or a Kaktaki, um, okay. one of the two, and uh, water, like the beach, you know. So water bottle, so, water. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what book are you currently reading or listening to? Okay. Uh, I'm reading The Great CEO Within and then Dopamine. So two books, actually. Dopamine. Okay. All right. Final question is, what's been your best mistake to date? By that time, you a setback that's giving you the biggest feedback. Oh, wow. Um, I think from, you know, a business perspective, we really went deep on oh, mistake. It's a tough one. Um, I mean, there are just a million hiring mistakes that I've made, but I think, you know, going back, like we've been really relegated to direct consumer for the first like two years of our existence. Um, and, you know, it was just recently that we kind of recognized the writing on the wall and have had to, to really adapt. So um, that was a, that's been a tough challenge, but it's something that's made our expertise, uh, you know, infinitely more valuable to our clients. So, um, that was a tough challenge. I wouldn't necessarily call it a mistake though. You learned from it. Lucas, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the 2X e-commerce podcast show. For those people who want to find out more, you know, about what you guys do, it's darkroomagency.com. You're active on most social networks. I could see LinkedIn, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. How about you personally? Are you active on any, professionally active on any social media platforms? Yeah, um, for sure. TikTok, Darkroom Lucas, same with Twitter. Um, LinkedIn, you can find me. I post quite a bit. And uh, yeah, pretty much the same as as the agency accounts. So Kunle, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Cheers, cheers, cheers. Bye. 